you are listening to a production of the Toll Network. This is Laser Knees number 111. Shine on, you crazy diamonds. I'm Aleph. And I'm Sono, and this is Machine Sentai Kira Major, Episode 0, Episode 1, The Machines Are Born, and Episode 2, Proof of Leadership. We are covering a lot today, I'm sure you've noticed by how long this will inevitably be at the time we finish. We don't know yet. We're only 30 seconds in at the moment, but we'll see where we go. Yeah, it's gonna go some places. Oh, yes. Our writer for all three is Naruhisa Arakawa, with episode zero co-written by Shida Ayumi. Our director for all of them, I believe, is Yamaguchi Kyohei. Oh, Dep, okay. Um, And, you know, a new Sentai means we have a lot of production-side ground to cover, starting with the triumphant return of Naruhisa Arakawa as Kira Major's lead writer. Like, just cue the heavenly choir. Just bathe the man in rays of light. I'm sure all of our listeners are no stranger to Arakawa's writing credits, be it through watching them themselves or us mentioning all of them on the regular. But for the sake of getting it all out of the way, he debuted with episode 28 of Kamen Rider Black, then wrote for Sentai all through the 90s, picked up his first lead writing jobs with, or just picked up his first lead writing job with the legendary Kamen Rider Kuga. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, That was his first time at the helm? Yes. Oh, he's so good. I almost hate him. Oh. Then uh, all through the 2000s, he went back to writing for Sentai from 2001 to 2008, uh, during which he led both Abba Ranger and Decker Ranger. He picked up a couple of episodes of Kamen Rider Double in 2009, and then came back to Sentai leading with, uh, no, not leading, uh, sorry, I'm getting very ahead of myself. He came back to Sentai in 2010 with Gosager and then led both Gokaiger and Akiba Ranger before just disappearing for three years. I mean, look, he has. In fairness, after Gokaiger and Akiba Ranger, I, you know, y- you could take a break. <laughs> yeah. Um, he has returned. Uh, kind of alongside the rise of our show with uh, popping in for a couple episodes of Zuoger, uh, Q-Ranger, Lupod, and Ryu Soldier. He also wrote the four-episode special Super Sentai Strongest Battle. Uh, but that was between Lupod and Ryu Soldier. And now he's back to lead a Sentai again. And man, this one just feels like it's his. Mm-hmm. Even if I hadn't known that going in, I would have guessed... Like, all of his hallmarks are there, and it's just, I feel like we're just in for a really good year. Oh yeah, same. I mean, on top of everything else, again, he's, Narhisa Arakawa, any one of the shows he's led, as we were talking about before we started recording, and pretty much any time we brought him up before, any one of the things he's been at the head of would be enough to get him a lifetime pass. He could just coast this year honestly, just phone it in. And I'd still probably say he's one of my favorite dudes, but also I don't think he's going to do that. It definitely doesn't look like he's gonna. No, and also, I have never seen the dude feel like he's phoning it in. Just 
dude shows up to play. Actually, okay. There was a couple ones in Ryu, like the 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 weird wedding cake one in Ryu Soldier. That was a weird one. Yeah, yeah but they can't all be winners. Also, didn't he also do a weird one in Lupot? No, he did no, the he, he did, did the one the, that um, made Keichiro my favorite character. Yeah, I thought he also did something with Toma that felt weird, but I don't remember. I didn't go look up what episodes he did. Yeah, just you know. They can't all be winners. I may be conflating it with the episode of Ryu Soldier with the, the Karate Dojo girl. Well, that was also the, the wedding cake one. Okay. I think? I think I might just be conflating those. No, no. No, those were different. That was, that was a girl. Those were different. Yeah. I think I'm conflating some episodes, but I mean, like... Whatever, like, yeah. Like, all the same, we forgive him those because... Uh, he did Kuga and Gokaiger and Akiba Ranger and oh, and wow. I mean those weren't his those weren't his shows. Yeah, exactly. And he was, you know, he was having to follow some follow other people's plans that may not have been good plans. We don't know. Yeah, look, um, like there's a reason I and look, I am going to end up bringing up throughout. I think a lot of this season, series, year, whatever. Uh, comparisons to Tokyuger by uh, Yasuko Kobayashi. Like, I think there's a reason him and Yasuko Kobayashi don't work a lot together, because sometimes just the aesthetics and visions, they're not compatible. And that's not a bad thing for anyone, it's just sometimes you don't work well on other people's stuff when it's not your thing. Arakawa's always going to be good if you just say, hey, this guy here, he's a good cop. Like, guess what? Nari Zarakawa gonna write them real good. But, yeah. He's not perfect, but, um... Uh, so, you know, we don't stan, but, uh... I'm very you excited. definitely hold a high respect. Yes. You know, having co-written Episode Zero with him is Shida Ayumi, who is much newer to Sentai and maybe anything. Um, I believe their only credit that I could find before Ryu Soldier was the Hero Mama League special in 2018, uh, which tried its best. It's good. It's written well. It just had like negative 25 cents as a budget. And uh, it did its best. And look, sometimes that's all you can ask. But uh, He also wrote a few episodes of Ryu Soldier last year, and he had some, some hits and some misses. But I've still got pretty high hopes for what he could bring to the table here, because the talent is there. He wrote oh, yeah. a couple really, really good episodes of Ryu Soldier. Um, so if he's working alongside a veteran like Arakawa, I think he could really bring some awesome stuff to the table if he's going to be uh, one of the secondary writers. Well, especially since all I can think is... If, if Shita Yumi ends up being kind of the, oh goodness, who was that person on Lupot who was sort of like the secondary to Kimura Junko? If you don't know much about them, kind of despised most of the episodes they wrote. Was it Kaneko Kaori? Yeah, that was it. Kaneko Kaori. <laughs> like, if Shita Yumi ends up being kind of like, the we if we can get the feeling that Ayumi is being sort of like apprenticed by Arakawa... That's, uh... I, I hope that is the case, because... 
Heck yeah. Yeah, I would I would love to see, you know, Shidaimi build up a couple of years working, you know, doing secondary writing and then, you know, in in like twenty twenty four get to lead the Sentai. Yeah. Especially since on top of being uh, you know, again, couple misses, but Ayumi did write the fantabulous fake death of Wisul, and that was frickin' sick. But also... Yeah, it, they also, uh, they wrote a lot of the episode, like, they wrote the treasure chest episode from really early in the oh. series. Yeah, I like that one. That was a good one. Like, most of their, like, I feel like maybe one or two of them were kind of weaker episodes, but most of their episodes had some really cool stuff going on. Nice. But yeah, then, then on top of that, Shitayumi also does directing and is pretty good. Yeah. I seem to recall, like, being like, hey, wait, is this a Sakamoto episode? And then it wasn't, it was uh, Shitayumi, and that's, um, like, look, we give Koichi Sakamoto a lot of crap, but that's only because, uh, the skill behind the camera is, is matched only by the horny on mainitude. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, speaking of directors, yes. uh, Yamaguchi Kyohei will be a name that's familiar to our listeners on Uncommon RX. Uh, he got his start directing a couple episodes of Forze, and then with the exception of Wizard, has directed on every Common Rider since then. Dang. But this seems to be his debut to Sentai, where he is bringing his A-game. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he is. Um, I'm very excited to see what a director who is so steeped in the visuals of modern Kamen Rider can bring to Sentai, especially one that's as flashy as this one is. Yeah, I mean... I mean, he's doing great. For He's out the gate. He's bringing some really interesting visuals. Um, I'm just, I'm very curious to see what of the modern Rider aesthetic carries over. Oh, absolutely. But that's not all. Oh wait, there's more. There are some familiar. F- there are some familiar faces in the cast. Uh, Kirame Blue is played by Mizuishi Adam, who played another Forze back in Zio, oh. as well as uh, Crow in uh, Garo Makai no Hana, and the related subsequent Garos. I don't know who that character is. That Me is either. not a. But uh. They keep bringing him back because he's credited as Crow across several Garo-related things. So, hey, good for him. Garo people, Garo people probably know who he is. Uh, more excitingly, Kirame Pink is played by a returning Tokusatsu actress, Mio Kudo, who played Canon in Kamen Rider Ghost. Heck yeah! Uh, and Canon was, in spite of her lack of narrative agency in Ghost, a character that I loved, and if memory serves, we were both pretty fond of. Oh yeah, like, it, the problem was not her. The problem was the way they wrote her, and that for whole episodes, her only line was repetitions of, Oni-san, like, ah, oh, poor girl, poor girl. Yeah, um, I mean, either way, she is doing amazing in this show, and I'm so excited to see what she brings to the role, especially since uh, in, I don't know if this was a, like a press event or an early like stage event, she expressed, you know, she's a longtime fan of Sentai, and she's excited to have gone from a role where she was the one being protected to a role where she's the one doing the protecting. 
Yeah, it's that's and that's just beautiful right there. Also, I I still remember when you told me that that was Miyokudo because I didn't I didn't make the connection. Like I, you could have knocked me over the feather, man. That was at first she baby, but now she power. <laughs> she's no longer baby. She's become powerful. Also, Kirame Yellow, who's played by uh, Rui Kihara, had a small role in season two, in just one episode of season two of Common Rider Amazons. I have no idea who. He's not credited as a named character, so I think it's just kind of an incidental role, but he was in it, so it counts. Yeah, that counts. Uh, Kirame Green is played by Shinjo Yume, who doesn't have any prior tokusatsu roles. Uh, she has a couple of roles in, I don't remember if they're movies or dramas, back in 2019. Uh, but she's a fairly new actress, so I think she's kind of starting her career with this, as well as Komiya Rio, who plays Kirame Red, who is making his complete debut with Kira Major. Wow. I, I will say, like, that doesn't surprise me, because it definitely feels like the kid's debut. He's got a... Now, lest I be accused of being unfair... I feel like he's got a stronger opening than a lot of debuting Reds have had, but he does feel just a little out of step with the rest of the show, though I bet he'll hit his stride pretty quick. Yeah, I, he definitely seems like he has either like spoken with Arakawa about the kind of character Juru should be, or he kind of knows what he wants to bring to this character and just doesn't quite know how to get there yet. Um, so I think that with Arakawa writing as well as he does, and, um, and the directors, and yeah, like the director directing as well as he does, I think that you know, within the first ten episodes, this kid's going to start to find his rhythm. Yeah, like he's. I think he's going to have a much better time than. Oh goodness, I forget uh, Lupin Red's name. Doesn't matter. Uh, I know Asahi Ito is the actor. Yeah, like. Kairi. Kairi, there the we go. Name. Yeah, because he's the Kai Tohu. Right. Yeah, it, it it took him a little, quite a bit to, to kind yeah. of find his stride. Uh, he got there. He did. He just, did get there in the end. It just took him a bit. It did. And I'm, I'm just glad because I do feel like Juru is, like you said, they know where they want to go. They're just trying to figure out how to get there. And that's, that's something. But, hey, speaking of, of little problems and stuff and... and personal things. Let's get into our nitpicks with these episodes so that we can then just sort of uh, just go hard on about all the stuff that's fun in these. Okay, so overall I'm kind of struggling with the necessity of an episode zero. I'm, I'm not sure how this was distributed, so that really doesn't help matters. Um, I'm pretty sure it wasn't by broadcast TV because I do think it was distributed like, the week of the last episode of Ryu Soldier, which I also think is just unfair to Ryu Soldier. Yeah. But I'm not I'm not sure how it was distributed. I don't think it was by broadcast TV. Because, yeah, if it wasn't on TV, I, I would also be a bit frustrated, because, like, look, episode zero wasn't the most necessary, but still, there's a lot in there. Yeah, like, it's enough information that it could have just been episode one. We could have just started there. And I feel like the reason it's not is that we don't really have, like, Drew doesn't transform in episode zero. He's not, he's not even on the team. 
by the end of the episode. He doesn't join the team until episode one, which would push his first transformation and the, the introduction of the vehicles to episode two, which would push the robots to episode three. And I can't imagine Bandai executives would be all that happy about it because then you're almost a month into the show and the robots haven't been on screen. Yeah, boy, would you put it that way. <laughs> like, I'm honestly surprised that they pushed the robots at all into episode two, because like, just as as it is, you don't see them until episode two. Well, that's that's pretty common. Yeah, they usually uh, introduce all the pieces in episode one and then put but them in the robot. Much slower in than that. It, mm. So, like having to push that down by an episode, I have to imagine was an executive decision of no. Yeah. Because a lot of the information that's in episode zero does get restated in episode one, so I guess it's mostly fine. But it feels really strange to have an entire episode dedicated to the lore building and introducing the cast, and then not making it an episode of the show. Like, we meet the entire cast, we learn everyone's deal in episode zero. And it's it's a thing where I feel Arakawa wanted to do what he does when he start where he starts with a team that's already together, and then Red is last to a lot arrive. Um, you know, kind of his you know Deca Ranger. He did this. I think he did it with Abba Ranger too. I think that Red was they weren't kind of a pre made like the. Blue and Yellow weren't kind of a team before him, but he was just the last one to get there. He didn't exactly do that with Gokaiger, because no. of the way Gokaiger is structured, he kind of built that into the back end of the narrative. But, um, you know, he kind of he kind of does that with Gokai Silver, actually, because Gokai Silver is very much like his early reds. Yeah. Yeah, actually. <laughs> He's... Like, Guy is very similar to, I can't remember his Bond? name in Abba Ranger, but like, no, Bond is Decker Ranger. Oh, uh, right. I yeah. can't remember the one, but, like, he's very much like Bond and the one from Abba Ranger. Mm. So he kind of, he kind of worked that in, whether he, whether anyone wanted him to or not. And also, like, but this feels... how he did Akiba Ranger, too. Yeah, it's how he, it's, and that's the same sort of guy. Yeah. So that's, I, that seems to be kind of the way he likes to start a team. But he needed to show the rest of the team being put together with the way he had to dump this lore. Mm. Um, and not so much dump, but like, you know, lay down the lore. Because it's, it's not really a dump. It's, it's very much him building the foundation. But having doing that didn't mesh. Like, doing both of these things where he wants to put the team together and then have the red come in last... Um, it did, those two things didn't really mesh in a way that worked for the higher-ups, mm. so I guess they compromised by letting him make an episode zero. And I guess that shows how much pull he has, that he was like, no, I'm doing this. I mean, the last time... This episode is happening. Yeah, the last time he did it, it was Gokaiger, so... <laughs> yeah, and I do think they're still making Ranger keys. Yeah, they, they do. And also, like, the last... The last uh, anniversary series that wasn't Gokaiger was Zhuoger, and mm, <laughs> that didn't didn't work as well for him. Yeah, so it's I'm just I'm not sure how I feel about this not just being a proper episode one because it could have been yeah very easily and it just wasn't. 
Yeah. Which is weird. I mean, it, it is still fun, and it's some fun Sentai stuff, but it does have the feeling where they wanted to do both the pre-made team and also work on getting the team together, which, yeah, it's, like you said, it's 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 got a weird rhythm, but I figure by episode three, it'll stop mattering. <laughs> oh, it, it stops mattering by episode two. Yeah. It just, it's one of those things where I'm like, why couldn't this have been episode one? And I think it's because Red isn't on the team at the end of episode one, and the robot wouldn't get there until episode... And I think that's really where the problem is. I mean, that that sounds pretty reasonable to me. Okay, and now I'm just going to throw out my big nitpick, which I'm just going to put it out there now, so I never have to say it again, because I think it, it may end up being like a going concern, and also... I did not realize that the pink was freaking canon at first, so th- that's just me covering my butt on this. But I just, I really can't help but hope they're going to turn down the you boys need to be disciplined thing, because that feels, how to put this in a non-explicit way, um, very Bayonetta. Like, I'm not saying it's horny, but I'm definitely saying it feels like it's evoking horn, and I'm not for it in the show for eight-year-olds. And maybe that's just me being incredibly online. But, and, and maybe, maybe I'm just seeing subtext there where it ain't. And I would be very happy to find out that that was the case. Yeah, it's because I can see how you got there, and like some part of like the back of my head also kind of picked that up. But I don't think it's going to read that way to most people who aren't used to, like, being on guard for that sort of thing in the way that we tend to be. Ah, well, that's good. Because, man, like, you and I, we have to look out for that stuff. It's a thing where, it's a thing that you and I are, you know, particularly unnerved by, especially in these contexts. We're very online, is the thing. (laughs) But I think... For Sayo, it's a thing where she's kind of meant to come from a position of authority. Yeah, which... And she kind of only knows how to come at people from a position of authority. Yeah, and and not to mention that's a good thing to do, because the actress is like 20-something. Very yeah, She's very young, and it, it highlights that she is a force to be reckoned with, no matter what you think of her her outward appearance and presentation. It's it's great shorthand. I just, look, I just wanted to get it out of the way right here and now, up front, so that I never have to talk about it again. Because, look, like, we watched the show where she was like, you know, the damsel in distress, the little sister. By proxy, we were sort of, like, taught to think of her as a little sister, because that's just how the show framed her. That's not a way I want to... Like, that's not a light in which I want to think about uh, a little sister character, you know? It's just, Fair. I don't want to, I don't want to treat her like that, and I don't want them to treat her like that, because it's canon. <laughs> like, I'm not saying I want them to turn the cool, chill, together, imposing doctor lady into, you know, just background character, Oni, chan come save me. Like, I don't want that, I'm just, anyway. Before, I'm just going to shut up before I stick my foot any further in my mouth. Okay, so these suits are going to grow on me. I know they are, but I'm not totally sold at the out. 
in two months, I'm not even going to think about it anymore. Like, I like all the glittery bits on the, and I like the helmets, but like the, the sash across the suit, um, is not generally my favorite type of design. Uh, it just, something about it doesn't work for me. And it's just, it's, they're selling for me more than the Tokuger suits did at the beginning of Tokuger, which also grew on me, which is how, why I'm sure that these will. Because um, I did not like the Tokuger suits. I liked the helmets, but I didn't like I didn't like the suits starting off. It just it didn't it felt weird to me. And they're still not my favorite suits, but they grew on me. I like them. I love the team. Um, it's I think it's just going to take me some time to get there with these. But like the glittery hollow flake bits are really moving that along quick because oh, I yeah. love that. And look, I just I mentioned. Yasuko Kobayashi before, and I'm just going to stick a pin in that Tokyuger callback, because, like, I can see where you're coming from. I just wanted to stick a pin in Tokyuger right now, because we're we going to come back to that. Oh, yes. And this is a really dumb thing to be mad about. This The thing I'm about to bring up is a really stupid thing to be mad about, but I am mad about it. This is, Look, that's why we have this bit of the show. Go for it. Because every time it happened, it really took me out of it. And it's specifically me. I don't think this happened for most other people. Drew is clearly drawing with, like, ballpoint pens. Likely gel ink pens, uh, just based on the the caps, um, just because I'm familiar with brands. But every finished drawing we see looks like it was done in crayon or possibly oil pastel. And those are not even remotely, like, comparable mediums. There is no possible way you could draw in one and have it look like the other. Yeah, no. And it was super distracting every time it happened, and I'm really mad about it. That's fair. If that was my, like, if that was my medium, I know it would get me, that'd get me all kinds of head up. Just split the difference and give him colored pencils. Jesus Christ. (laughs) And that should take... I'm just gonna, it's going into episode one, I'm just gonna say it and let it go because it truly doesn't matter, but man, the CGI on the big faucet squid was not great. Like, the first two episodes are your big budget blowout. Just please, throw like 20 more dollars at those textures. Like, I wasn't sure where you were going coming from, but yeah, the textures were not. Like, the, the model was fine, it was just very flat. Yeah, yeah, I can get with that. It, it didn't look like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw some technical terms, it didn't look like they had UV mapped a texture. Yeah, it's just, it's just a it block of It looked like colors. they had just like popped, a, yeah, it looked like they had just popped a blin on there. Not even like a fong where it had some good reflection, they just popped like, they just colored a Lambert. Yeah. And now I'm, now I'm done using technical terms. Um, because I barely understand what those terms mean. I understand enough that I know the difference, and I know that they didn't use the right one. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I, God, I'm just going to keep getting into really nitpicky things that don't totally matter. But I wish that Overtime had translated Juru's catchphrase as, like, maybe a sparkle of inspiration or some similar phrase instead of kind of a, I, I don't know the term for this, but like a word shoved into the middle of another word. Because in Sparkleration is really clunky to read, so it took th- 
three or four or maybe even five times of Juru saying the catchphrase for me to realize the way they were translating the joke, which means I didn't get I the joke was not transmitted to me until halfway through the first episode, even if I kind of understood the joke hearing it in Japanese. Yeah, because if if I wasn't mishearing, it's like Kirame King or or something similar to that, right? Okay. I I believe I understand this pun, and anyone is free to come correct me if I'm wrong here, because I'm going entirely on ear, which is not my strength. Mm. But what he's saying is Kirame Keen. Okay. Which is a kind of deeply layered pun. Uh, Hirameki is inspiration. That's that's what the word means. Okay. Um, those are synonymous bilingual terms. While Kira is an onomatopoeia for sparkling. Mm. Uh, it was used a lot in Wizard. Yeah. No, I I, I remember. I know. I know Kira Kira because that was what yeah. uh, Zed in Tokyuger kept like, hey, these kids really shine. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, you know, Kira, Kira Kira is an onomatopoeia for sparkling, where Keen um, is kind of an onomatopoeia that's meant to evoke, like, a quick flash. Like, you know, the, the Team Rocket blast off when the star hits? That's mm. that's the Keen. Gotcha. So, it's kind of this complex pun on him having this really, like, brilliant sudden flash of inspiration. So, Overtime isn't wrong, like, they, that is a way to translate that joke. It's just one that's physically difficult to read. So it took me, like, five times of reading it before the joke had been transmitted to me. Even though, like, hearing it, I understood the joke. Yeah, no, it's just... Again, it, it, it also took me just a second to figure out what they were going for. And look, I don't know a better way to translate it. Translation is a complicated and nuanced art. But yeah, in sparkleration is... Mm, it's clunky. But, you know, I'm not saying it's bad, it's just... It is clunky. Like, I kept wanting... Because I, I kept hearing it as Kira me Kinga. Like, you were making Kira. So, you know, that adds another level to the pun. To me, anyway. But I misheard it and there's no G sound at the end, but whatever. But I kept wanting... I mean, I mean, honestly, that might part of the pun anyway. Yeah, I feel like it'd be a good addition to it, because then it's deeply Japanese and a multilingual pun, and let's be real, they do seem to like those, like, deep, deep, deep bits of wordplay. Yeah. But I, I just, I kept wanting something like, you know, let's make this shine, here's a way to make it shine, I don't know, it's just... Just something to turn the pun around a little, but again, in sparkleration, like I see where they're coming from. It's just sometimes they it's not as elegant as it could be. It's it's not wrong. It's they they didn't mistranslate. It's just impossible to physically read. Yeah, it, and I think that kind of misses the point of doing the subtitles if the joke you're transmitting can't be read. Yeah, and I respect, I see why they're doing it that way. It's just, boy, that's a tough one to translate. I don't know how you'd do yeah, it. It's, I just wish they'd gone with a phrase made of small words instead mm -hmm. of one big word. I know they were trying to kind of keep the, the single word nature of the pun. Yeah. But 
they don't have to. Yeah, no. Is the thing. Me, I think what I may end up doing is just go into the sub-files and control H, so we take out in sparkleration, and every time it's just that bit from the, uh, the, the theme that Queen did from the 80s Flash Gordon movie, and he's just, Flash! Ah! <laughs> I don't know, I feel like that's in, that's sort of in character. That's in the spirit. Yeah. It's, look, okay, I feel like if they did, if they changed it to Flash Ah, that's, that's about as in the spirit as translating Uchukita as Blast Off. That was an Aesir subs thing, not, uh, uh, an overtime thing, but I forever stand by Blast Off as a translation choice for Uchukita. Literally the same? No. Hits a lot of the same feeling and emotion that Uchukita is meant to evoke, though. Yeah. It's it's a wilder translation choice, I will agree, because but it sounds a lot better to me than it's space-time, because that just, it doesn't quite get the <clears throat> But that's a personal thing, and translation, again, is a very subjective art form. Well, personally, I'm still fond of Let's Go Space, which is not something anyone used in the show. But that is how a couple, I think, Overtime translated the movie title that way? And the movie title was still Uchukita. I also liked someone suggesting Space Baby, which... Yeah. I mean, that's pretty good, too. Like, if every time it's just, space, baby! Like, admittedly, that gives Gentro a very different character. But it's, again, translation is a very subjective and artistic art form, and let no one tell you differently. Though, I think it's it's telling that we're having this conversation about it in a show that talks so much about the importance of imagination. Just yeah. It's, it's an appropriate thing. It's in the spirit. So uh, I'm glad the two members from, the two kids from Jiru's class, like, get saved from the top of that building and all. But man, why were you two, like, even up there in the first place? Like, how were you two even up there in the first place? They left the school pretty much at the same time Jiru did, except they were on foot and he was inside of a giant flying crystal. So, like, and at that point, the faucet squid had already started going. And they somehow made it to that building, all the way to the top of that building, and could see it coming. Why didn't they leave? If they had gone two blocks west, they would have been out of the line of fire. Like, if you're gonna do something stupid and dangerous, like, at least, like, think about it a little harder. I will say I don't mind it as much. I'm not saying you're wrong. I I just... It, didn't hit me quite the same way, because not planning the stupid, dangerous thing does feel like a very hashtag teenager thing to do. I mean, like, I can't imagine wanting to do this and be not thinking, like, okay, what's the best vantage point where I'm not gonna die? I I mean, look, you ain't wrong. Also, uh, that roll call pose. Apparently, the pose is supposed to evoke the katakana kirame? kirame? Oh, okay. um, which, looking at it after that was explained to me, I get it, and I see it, and I think it's kind of clever, but it's so goofy and not visually clear 
like, it's probably gonna be a permanent fixture in the roll call because it was against, you know, a green screen. Mm. But I'm kind of hoping that it's just, like, a first episode thing and they don't do it again because it it really takes me out of it. <laughs> and, yeah, see, before I, I realized that context for it, I just sort of took it as a callback to Akiba Ranger. Because it felt very much like the kind of roll call they'd have in that. Just, you know, five of them instead of three. And they're kind of awkward at posing because it's the first episode. Because I didn't get, you know, I don't know the, the katakana well enough to to catch that. Look, I do know the katakana well enough, but I still didn't catch it. <laughs> well, I don't feel quite so bad. Like, you have to, you have to like, know that's what it, what they're doing to get it. And even then, like, it's kind of sloppy. Yeah, it's um, it's a thing. <laughs> but hey, I think that's that's our last bit of nitpicking, right? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So uh, strap yourselves in, dear listeners. Uh, we gonna be a second because there's a lot of good stuff to talk about. Okay, so the first thing we're introduced to is our villains and our team's mystic patron, and Arakawa got me hooked on this one pretty dang quick. He it took him. All of 30 seconds. Yeah, no, big same. Because, look, every year I talk about how I have a lot of opinions about first episodes. And even if episode zero is supposed to be, like, kind of a prologue instead of a first episode, it's still a prologue that gets you in. There's there's no faffing about, no, like, long-winded thing. It's just, hey, what up? Here's some aliens. Here's the bad guys. Here's the bad guys' incredibly abstract supervillain motives. Oh, hey, here's the inciting incident. Go. And that's like, what, two, three minutes? Yeah. That's, that's real good. And it, on top of that, it gives you the impression that this show isn't here to waste your time. And I appreciate that because, boy, there have been some Sentai and Rider shows where I'm just like, you you're not here for me. You're here to draw a paycheck, and there, there's a difference. The the half-face-acted villain guy is amazing. That is an amazing design. I hope someone is getting a million dollars for just having put that on a piece of paper and been like, put someone in this. He feels so very out of a 90s Sentai, to the point where he's probably a reference to someone but he's just—he's got this really fun, chaotic nature to him that really just makes me want to know what his whole deal is. Like, why are you in charge of this? What is your thing? What's going on with you? You're so cool. Yeah. No. Same. I—I I love him. I love him so much, especially since, as near as we can tell over here, and this is just pure conjecture based on these first couple episodes. This dude could end up as a great foil for our Red, especially given, you know, some of the stuff we find out later on about Juru. It's just, he's he's an artist, he's charismatic, he's rude, I just... And again, like you said, great design. Honestly, in episode zero, and he keeps this up, he is just one of the best generals we've had in a while, and that's saying some stuff. I've really liked the villains for... A goodly while now. Yeah, we had... We had, like, three years of really good villains. Or at least mostly good villains. Like, Q-Ranger 
didn't always have good villains, but it had some that were great. Man, every time they they oh goodness, what was there's Eek again and Madoka, right? Madoka. Madoka. Thank you. Because it's ta- Taco. Right, right. Because she's an octopus. Yeah, I just I loved them. And then they just they were great. They did Madoka dirty. Yeah, they did. Anyway, let's let's move on with this show because I Arakawa is not in the habit of doing anyone dirty. That's that's another no, thing I really not. like about him. He is he is very good at not doing that. Like um, the worst person in Kuga I can think of would be the Bat Grongi, and yo, he 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 put up with a lot of stuff. He went out like a champ. I mean, like, look, I hate Abare Killer. Abare Killer is one of my least favorite characters in Super Sentai. He might be my least favorite character in all of Super Sentai. He was not done dirty. That was in everything with him was intentional. I just didn't like it. Like, Madoka? Done dirty. That was, like, they established a character and then completely changed it. Yep. And? Repeatedly. And she and, kept getting like, less great. Yeah. Where, like, Abare Killer is consistent. He, they, he is a well-built character. I just don't like the build. <laughs> That's fair. Where, like, look, it's... I, I Like, I'm trying to think of something to compare it to, but I just... I don't like him. I think he sucks. Think you're allowed. But, like, he's he's consistent. His story is what it is. There's no, like, changing him halfway to try and do something. He's... He is who he is, and I respect that. Arakawa knows how to write a character. Speaking of, I love Mabushina. Yeah. I love her. I wish she was face acted, but I, I don't even, I really don't even care. I just, like, want more ladies. Because, like, her design as it is is so cute, and she's really fun, and she seems like she's going to have as much of a growth arc as our actual heroes. In, like, kind of learning to use her imagination and be confident and kind of step into her father's role. And I'm excited for that, because that's not usually a thing that, like, the mystic patron gets to have mm. on the occasions that we have them. No, that's true. Tetum had a little bit of an arc in Gow Ranger, but not... She didn't really change. She just kind of, like, learned about her past. Where, you know... I kind of want to see this lady, I want to see Mabushino, like, learn to be a confident ruler and go home and rebuild her, you know, Steven Universe planet. <laughs> Yo, there was, there were some times during there that were, were over here were like, okay, Arakawa. Hoseki no Kuni, that's what I was trying to think of. Oh, I wanted yeah, to make a reference yeah. to that instead because, like, that's. That's a little more apt because they're entirely physically made of gem, mm. um, and I just couldn't think of the title. But else, I couldn't. I don't even remember what they translated. Land it as. of the Lustrous. Land of the Lustrous. That's what it is. Uh, hey, if you like some uh, weird rock person body horror, who boy? Uh, that's that's what I wanted to make the joke about. But it's I really I want to see that for her. I want to see her kind of grow. Into an like from a child into an adult, same, and that feels kind of like what he wants. Honestly, okay, just quick diversion though. I do want to give a shout out to the design team 
generally on Kira Major, because I know you mentioned not being thrilled by the, the Sentai suits themselves, but, like, the costumes generally, starting with Mabushina, the monsters, the civilian clothes, like, everything is really good in this show. Oh, yeah, every other costume and, like, villain design is totally, completely on point. I think I just like a more symmetrical Sentai uniform. Like, transformed suit, not uniform so much. Because uh, that kind of evokes the out-of-suit uniform. Um, but I think I just, I like a more symmetrical Sentai suit. Oh, I fair. think that's my thing. That's fair. And with with a more kind of equal blocking, where with this you've got kind of like a big area of the color and then the narrow road strip. I think I kind of like want that that blocking distributed more evenly. I could see that. Where like the 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 Lupin Ranger suits, for example, you've got the thick black stripe down the chest that's kind of the same width as the two areas of red on either side. Mm. Um I think that's more just personally what I'm into. No, that's fair. But they're not they're not bad suits by any means. Um and all of the other designs are so good. Um, and Episode Zero puts such an emphasis on Mabushina fighting with the team that part of me wonders if she's gonna get to transform eventually. I don't know if maybe, like, I don't... My gut says not the sixth, but maybe as, like, a seventh. We we almost... Like, how we almost had Nada, except I don't think they'd kill her. Yeah, well, I just... I Well, one, I hope they don't. But also, I just really want an extra hero who doesn't walk in off the street, but, you know, who's already there and grows into a transformation. I think that'd be a great way to, uh, like, that's not, like, putting a cap on her growth, but that is definitely a, a really cool stage in her evolution toward being the, the Queen of Crystallia. Yeah. Also, props to her suit actress for managing to portray the absolute horror of watching your father get murdered in front of you in the middle of, you know, being deposed from your kingdom without having a face to express that with. Because, like, as they're on top of him, like, beating him, I'm like, oh, she's gonna vomit. Mm -hmm. That lady's gonna throw up. Which I don't even think she could do, but, like, she evoked it. She convinced me of the things she was feeling. She was in shock. Yeah, yeah, she was. And Honestly, I think that that, that suit's going to end up right up there with uh, Momotaro's from Kamen Rider Denno as one of those suits where you always remember it having faces, like expressions, like and changing and shifting. But no, it's a static helmet. The actor just knows what they're doing. Oh, yeah. It's, it's going to be Doggy Kruger, Momotaro's, and Mabushina. Which, you know... Good on you, Mabushina. That's good company to be in. Yeah, it is. You know, like, two of the most beloved- Like, the most beloved character in Sentai and the most beloved character in Rider. Mm -hmm. That's a good place to be. Yeah. Like, if you're- Oh, what- Like, she might end up being the second most beloved character in all of Sentai. What a shame. <laughs> Like, look, also, it's possible dad, well, she could get more than Doggy Kruger, but that would take some doing. I... She would have to work for that. Yeah. Well, look, in fairness, 
that was another Arakawa creation. It's true. She doesn't have a swan to bounce off of, though. At least not yet. But I think really a lot of what sold Doggy is the fact that Swan was also there. Also, her dad and his evil palette swap brother are also pretty interesting. I feel like maybe Geysorg was just popular enough that they looked at Arakawa and were like, hey, can you sell that again? And he just kind of took it and did a really different spin on it, because it's not really the same idea, um, but it's a very similar idea. I could see that. Where I think they want to, you know, they want to have, like, an evil person from the same, like, as where the heroes get their powers. And it's it's connected in that way, but he took it in a really different direction as to how it functions. And I just really want to know how the king of Anime Gem Planet is friends with this, like, goofy comic scientist on Earth running a business out of a huge fake tree that got reskinned from Gaim. Like, give me that lore, Arakawa. I know you got it. You know he got it. Like, just just drop that in, like, a web movie. Give me their backstory. Also, I know we're not mega fond of kings, mm. but I appreciate that at least this one is, like, Buddy, you're gonna make trouble? I'll die. Right now. Bring it. Come at me. Like, he just gets up out of his chair and he's got a sword ready and everything. Dad showed up to play. Yeah, he did. And look, if you're gonna be a monarch, and again, not a huge fan of that, but if you're gonna do it, like, first off, we get an interesting reason why he gets to be in charge that doesn't seem to rely on, you know, heredity. That's cool. Uh, and it's it's so perfect that I kind of don't even mind. But also, like you said, it's he's not like, guards, kill him. He doesn't like hit a button and drop out a trap door. It's, oh, hey, my brother's here. My brother brought uh, this, this weird red half a human face man to wreck my stuff. Well, okay, time to get my hands dirty because, boy, I just realized, like, he's a rock. He could just punch a lot of those dudes. Yeah, but he, like, but no, he has. A he sword. gets up ready to fight like forty dudes on his own. He doesn't even call for help. Yeah, like that. Like you said, like he's not messing around, and I, I, I appreciate that. So I guess Tiramigo and the auxiliary Kishiryu were uh, popular enough for them to take a swing at talking partners again, uh, and I'm pretty excited about it. I can't. I honestly can't remember the last time they really did that. Not, not even just like the mascot, like Good Striker. Or, uh, Navi. Like, actual communicable partner gimmick toys. It, it may have been Goanger. And that's where my head jumped to at first. But I really like the personalities they gave everyone and how in Goanger, everyone kind of has the same personality as the engine they're partnered with, with the exception of the wings. Where, here, it's a lot more like the partner dynamics in Abba Ranger, which also had uh, talking partner dinosaurs. And, uh, you know, that was Arakawa's first leading Sentai. And what really kind of triggered the Abba Ranger memory for me was the relationship between Shiguru, uh, Kirame Blue, who's like the really cool, detached Arakawa Blue. He's the very typical Arakawa Blue. And then Jetter, 
who acts kind of like an adoring younger sibling and is calling him Aniki and is, you know, thinking he's like the coolest dude who's ever lived. Which is exactly what the dynamic was between Abare Blue and his partner Kara, who was a he was a Triceratops back in Abba Ranger. It's the exact same dynamic. And a lot of them in Abba Ranger was were that way, where they kind of had some stuff in common, but they kind of had slightly different personalities to each other. And I think that opens up to a lot more stories about the team bonding with their partners and just having some fun kind of bouncing off of each other that I, I think wasn't missing from Goanger, but gave Goanger a very different tone than Kira Major has. Mm. And, like, I've not seen Abba Ranger. I need to fix that one of these days, because I did not know that that was an Arakawa joint. Coming back to it, now that I have that information, looking at Abba Ranger, I'm like, you know what? That kind of makes sense. Because, <laughs> man, there's some really... There's some stuff in Abba Ranger that is, like, Kuga levels of intensity. Oh, okay. Rock. Which feel weirdly out of place in Abba Ranger. Abba Ranger suffers from a lot of tonal whiplash. And I think that is because Arakawa wanted to... You know, he came from Kuga only a couple years earlier. Abba Ranger was 2003. So he wanted to do another really big, intense story, and they're like, this is for eight-year-olds, and it's about dinosaur robots. Calm down. And he's like, he's like, well, I'm gonna do both. Which wasn't always the best decision. Mm. It was good. Abba Ran- I, I like Abba Ranger. I think Abba Ranger is really good. Um, the tonal, I think the, like, the heavier parts of the story are kind of incredible. It's a really good story, but some of the episode-to-episode tonal whiplash is really something to take in. Well, still, I I just want to give it a shot sometime, but... Oh, absolutely. I I think there's a lot of things in Abba Ranger you'd really enjoy. Uh, You would love the the lady villain in Abba Ranger, who is one of my favorites. She's actually one of my favorite... uh, like lady antagonists. She's she's got a great story. Her whole deal is amazing. Looking forward to it. But yeah, I just again, so having not seen Abba Ranger, I, I couldn't make the same connections, but I just also really like the way the personalities contrasted, not not even conflicted, just highlighted various parts of, of the personalities between the gems and the humans. Because you got you got the driven athlete and her hype man. But it's not just a hype man, he's like a retainer. I like that. Uh, you mentioned the detached swordsman and his super excited little brother. The egomaniac gamer and the down-to-earth old-timer. Uh, you've got the the super hype confident red gem and like, ah, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just a, I'm an anxious art student. And then, of course, uh, you have the mega chill surgeon and the pink gem girl who is a thousand percent in love with her, and I will brook no debate upon this point. Oh, no argument here. Pink gem is big lesbian. Yeah, yeah. Incredibly big lesbian. And, like, it's just this chill thing overall that they can just spend as much or as little time as they want exploring these these 
contrasting ways of being, they just they could just let it go as it is now, and either way it would still feel really elegant, even though it's literally doubling the size of the main cast. <laughs> Which Yeah, it's it's a thing where even within episode zero alone, their personalities become so established that they feel like fully fleshed out characters where like you really don't need much more. But I would gladly, if they wanted to give me some weird background stories about these gems, I will take oh, them. Oh yeah, absolutely. And if anyone can do it right, it's going to be Nari Sarakawa, because... Oh, absolutely. Again, we, we may not stand, but we definitely support this legend. So I'm very interested in Sayo's perspective on herself, because um, she's she seems to have this really interesting... She's the only one where we kind of un- see that she also has a very specific vision of herself, aside from Juru, where she's in the middle of surgery and is receiving high praise for her skills, and is just like, no, there's nothing interesting or special about me at all. I am the most normal person who's ever lived. And I'm wondering if her arc is going to be that, you know, she is this, like, hyper genius where she's an acting surgeon at like 21 and she just wants to be seen and taken seriously as a person not put up on this constant pedestal as some ultra talented super figure and i'm kind of taking this guess based entirely on one line but she could be a very interesting take on what he was doing with abare killer but just not as a villain which I think is a lot of what made Abare Killer not work, because he spends the vast majority of his time in the show as a villain. And they redeem him kind of at the last second. Okay. When he's already way past a point of, you're irredeemable. Gotcha. Where it's, here, we're start because he was also a doctor. He's also a surgeon, is, the, is kind oh, okay. of- because um, I'm realizing you don't have that context for him, so I need to put that out there. Abare Killer, as a character, I can't remember his character's name because I don't like him. Um, he's also a surgeon. Okay. And they kind of try and redeem him on that, where he saves the Red at one point, and from that point on, the Red is kind of trying to, to redeem him. But it just, it goes on for so long, and he does just so much incredibly creepy stuff that I'm like, no, you can't sell me on this in the last, like, three episodes of the show. Weird how, during that point in in Toei Tokusatsu, because that was also around the time, not exactly, but around the time of Agito, where they had another Agito, who was another evil surgeon. Yeah, this would have been right after Agito. Probably right after uh, Agito. It would have been two years after. It would have been two years after Agito. It would have been during Fies, Uh because I know Decker Ranger ran alongside Blade, so Abba Ranger would have run alongside Fies. Um Yeah, that really was the time for that, wasn't it? Yeah, it's, yeah, a thing. But anyway, just I, I do like that that there's something to that line that they could build out from, because I do feel like Araka was the type to drop a character's thesis statement and build out from there. But just 
the idea that she wants to do her job and not have to deal with all the pressure of, oh, you're so amazing, like, that could be a really interesting thing to talk about that you don't often hear people talk about. Yeah, and not to, to circle back to something we don't like for too long, but I feel like that's where they were originally planning to go with Hero and X-Aid, mm. and then just didn't. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff they did. Where I'd, I'd really, like, I'd, like, I'd really just love to see that story done well. Like, having it presented to me for the third time now, I'm just like, man, it, it really took you a lady to get this right. So, uh, yo, they got me. I honestly thought they were gonna kill off the, the goofy mentor character in episode zero. Oh, the dude with the, uh, the VR goggles? Yeah. Because, like, we had no way of knowing at the time that those weren't real, and normally, like, getting hit with a weapon when you're a civilian is pretty bad. That'll do some ser some serious damage. And look, they had already killed one dude. Yeah, and we did just come off a show where they offed three mentors in as many minutes into the series proper. Just, look, it's a weird, intense new era of Sentai. Who knows what they're going to do? And then turning around and making it a big joke and having Mabushina just go ham on him. That was also real good, because that's very much how I think we yeah, were all feeling. No, don't oh, don't much. play with that. We just lost Nada. We're all still hurting. Like, she just lost her dad. Yeah, dude. Like, less than less than a month ago. Yeah, don't, don't play with life and death. She's She's had quite enough of that, thank you. Like, I don't know how much time passed between her leaving her planet and her getting to Earth, but it couldn't have been that much. Yeah, I was, I'm definitely guessing there's some, some weird magic stuff happening. Like, somewhere between a week and six months. Which is still, like, and well within the time when you're allowed to be messed up about someone being dead. Your father murdered in front yeah, of you. Yeah, you get, you know, you get to be upset about that as long as you want. Sorry, you just do. But uh, back to back to uh, Sayo. Yes. Because uh, that bit where she like throws an enemy on the ground and then casually sits down and like throws one leg over the other and just kind of pops off the rest of the group she's fighting was incredible. I am already a big homo, and I still had a gay awakening from that. Yeah, I think that shot is going to give a lot of people a lot of awakenings. Just. Uh, you know, but in, in the grand scheme of weird awakenings Sentai has put into people, also one of the milder ones, you know? Yeah, that is that is maybe one of the most benign. Because, <laughs> boy, there's every now and again you're watching Sentai, it's like, hmm, someone's gonna just, someone is gonna be, like, in 20 years, like, I, I, you know, I'm just not gonna go down this path, because we're trying... I, Look, we're I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna do, like... Will Smith hand gesture at every early 2000s lady villain in a Sentai? Yeah. Just that. Yeah. Yeah. Because, and some, sorry, there have been some, some monster designs where I'm like, okay, you just, congratulations, you're, you're weird, sexy, the, the two-mouthed lady from Ninninger. You didn't watch that. We didn't talk about it. I, but there was, there was one, and I'm just like, hey, that's that's a kid who just has something weird put in their head now. They're never going to get rid of it. 
I'm, I'm trying not to get too gross. It's just, it's a part of Sentai. Sorry, circling. So it is. It really is. Um, also, I like that we've got like a half gun team, half sword team. I kind of like when we diversify the weapon specialties to make the fights a little more interesting. Um, I mean, Rhea Soldier needed them all to have swords. I get that. That was part of the theme. Um, and in that, they did a really good job giving everyone really specialized sword fighting styles. And I will commend them for making those fights interesting, because they did. But half-sword, half-gun teams seem to almost be a staple for Arakawa, which is interesting in that, like, I can't imagine it's a thing he'd normally have direct say in. But, you know, normally, the like, the whole team will have a gun and a sword and use both, but he seems to, you know, like, giving half of them- I don't, like, I don't know if it's him, but I can't find another common denominator there, where, you know- Two members of the team will have a sword, and two members of the team will have a gun, and then Red will kind of use both. I don't know, I just like seeing diversity in combat because the fights are not what I come to these shows for, so any edge they can give to hold my attention is very, very welcome. No, yeah. And honestly, in modern Sentai, again, like, same thing, I don't know if it's him, but he seems to be, he seems to like to do it. It, it does seem to be an Arakawa thing, and I'm, I'm just here for it. Especially since it always gives us an extra bit of characterization about the characters, and we get to see in the way they fight just all these expressions. It it gives the suit actors some suit acting to suit act, which I always appreciate, because a lot of times they just don't. And it's it's not quite Gokaiger levels where they toss their extra weapons off to their friends, uh, because that was my favorite thing. That was the best. Um, and it gave us the miracle of uh, two guns in one hand, Ahim, and five swords, Joe. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about five swords, Joe. Ah! That was so stupid, I love it. But yeah, it's... it's it was the dumbest thing! Yeah, but... He's so good. That's the thing. A good Sentai will do the dumbest thing you can imagine, and they will sell it. And that's what I'm here for. But yeah, it's you know it's not quite Gokaiger levels because they don't have like the 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 grappling hook rope things, but I mean it's still pretty good. So we mentioned this a little bit, but like Mabushina getting so mad at the mentor whose name is really long, so I haven't memorized it yet. But getting mad at him for like faking the battle and getting so mad that she then headbutts him with her big stone gem head was the funniest thing. Like I have to imagine it's some kind of cultural thing that they have that's kind of similar to shoving or slapping for us, where it's- because headbutting is just such a specific form of physical aggression that humans definitely don't default to because head trauma is a thing with us. Yeah, it- Where, like, it's- it's just like, oh, you can just headbutt people and it's not a problem because you guys wouldn't have head trauma. Yeah, because, I mean, they- presumably don't have brains that are, like, fat and protein strands and some electrochemical stuff. It's just more rock. And therefore, you probably don't have to worry about it getting shaken up the same way. But yeah, it's, it is those little touches throughout that really highlight how alien Mabushina is, and I'm always here for it, because that sort of thing is the best. So I, I really love that this girl in Juru's class, like, goes over to mess with him, 
and he, like, agrees to draw her, unintentionally wastes, like, five hours of her time just enjoying himself to the fullest. And then we kind of get this moment where it looks like she's going to come around on him and, you know, like, maybe be his romantic interest for the season in in that kind of Maji Ranger way, where, you know, Red had his, like, school girlfriend. And, like, they kind of set that up. And then he, like, busts out the drawing and it's just him dunking on every awful personality trait this girl has. So good. Like, it's it's such a great moment. And it's kind of this very subtle, not even really subtle, but like, hey, kids, you don't gotta take that. You don't gotta forgive people who are going out of their way to hurt you. You can, but you should just keep being your best self and that's the best form of revenge. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate Me that. Too. That's That's real. And, like, I really like Juru. I do. I really like him. Like, Arakawa came for me with this one. He came for me with this whole Sentai, but he, like, was like, let's... Because I'm not usually super into Reds. They're not generally my favorite character. I don't often dislike them, but they're usually, like, third or fourth on my tier list. But, man, Arakawa's like, let's let's just write one specifically that I can't that, like, I have to have him within, like, my top three. Because, like, anxious, goofy little artist boy who doodles in class and admires everything all of his friends can do, but can't quite see what makes him cool enough to hang out with them? That's a mood, kid. That's a mood. Yeah, that's, um... Boy, that's gonna be the subject of some uncomfortable realness as this series progresses, I predict. Oh, yes. Um, he's a little catchphrasey. But I'm hoping that will kind of wear off with time once they've got the kids hooked. Yeah, I, I do hope so. Like, I, I get that they gotta drive the stuff home as as much as possible, but still, like, little catchphrasey. Don't care for it. Yeah, and it's, I think it's just kind of the yelliness of it, because as I'm thinking about it, I'm like, wow, Marvelous was really catchphrasey. Mm. Marvelous, Marvelous said his catchphrase, like, all the time, but he was never yelling it. He would always just, he would cut it. He would always just kind of swagger in and say it, and then like shoot a monster in the face. Yeah. Uh, I and and his also it didn't hurt that his catchphrase didn't suck. Just all right, let's make a show of it. Like that's a great one. Yeah, it's especially like you said when it's coupled with, you know, he says that as he's shooting a monster in the face. Yeah, it's he's never like yelling it or cheering it. It's just kind of. It's kind of the go signal for the team. And since then, we've had kind of these catchphrasey reds. Not over and over. Because, I mean, like, Hiromu the next year, I don't think he had a catchphrase at all. Like, the squad kind of had one that was, again, kind of their go call. But I don't think he ever actually said it. But, you know, the, especially the past couple of years, we've had these really catchphrasey reds. Even the Lupin Rangers... They, like, Kyrie had this catchphrase, but it worked because it kind of functioned in the same way that Marvelous did, mm. where he'd swagger in and say it as kind of their go phrase and then shoot a monster in the face, where it kind of feels like, like, Juru and Lucky. Yeah, <laughs> like, they kind of just scream it at random with no purpose, and I think that's really where the difference lies. Yeah. Still, I, I hope they, they iron that one out. Again, if anyone can. And okay. I'm sure he will figure it out. Oh yeah, oh yeah. But yeah, last thing for episode zero, 
I just I like that as a weird unifying civilian costume thing, everyone except for Juru, and maybe even including I don't really remember his as much, has just some wild footwear. I don't know what's up with it, but it sure is a thing I noticed and I, I really I appreciate it. It's real good. Okay, so into episode one. Right, yeah, because we started with zero. God. There's there's just so much. Um, Juru running around the battle trying to draw everyone while they're in the middle of fighting and getting distracted because they're all they're like each increasingly cooler than the last was just like so cute. I love that instead of being inspired to like fight by that like it's like, oh, they're so cool, I'm gonna go fight with them. He just kind of throws himself deeper into his own passion because again Yeah, no. Also, that moment of, like, I just drew something awesome with the big explosion behind him is definitely how it actually feels, like, when I finish a big piece that I'm really proud of. Mm, yeah, that's that's a reaction image I'm going to, like, keep in my back pocket forever. Look, it's a good one. And, and not to jump too far ahead, but when Mabushina is then like, yo, being able to come up with stuff from your imagination is the highest form of power where I come from. That's why my dad was king. Because he's the only person on my planet who could do that. That was just kind of super validating. Mm. And made me feel real good. And from the pen of Arakawa, who's been in this game for so long, creating so many of these teams out of his own brain and his own heart, alongside so many other writers who've been doing the same for 45 dang years now, I feel like he's kind of giving himself and his contemporaries a well-deserved pat on the back for, again, 45 of these. And look, they deserve it. Because, yeah, like you said, 45 of them. And also, it's it's just, like, on a completely different level, it's such a perfect thing to have the big power on a world made of stone be the idea that you could see beyond the concrete if you'll forgive the pun. It's just, of course being able to go abstract would be a big, intensive, world-changing thing for a rock. That's just, that's not what they do. And also just, you know, again, much love to people generally who lead with their imaginations. They love it in Tokyo, they love it at Epcot, and they love it in Kira Major, and we love it here on Laser Knees. So I feel like in other situations, I... I haven't been particularly fond of this style of joke, but I actually thought it was really funny when Juru was being like a huge disaster buy for Shiguru, Seta, and Sayo. And I'm I'm comfortable in saying that because he calls Shiguru a heartthrob. Um, no, yeah. Where he's like gushing over these three, and then he gets to the end of the line and it's Imizu, who is, he's all braced and excited for praise, and then Juru just has no idea who he is. Yeah, and that could come off as just this incredibly mean joke. But somehow they pulled it off without making Juru seem like a jerk. He just doesn't follow esports is all. Yeah, and I think I think a lot of that is we've seen Juru just be so impossibly nice even when he's kind of being mean. Yeah. That it doesn't feel mean. And like I watch a lot of streaming. Um, I love the Mario speedrunning community. 
technically the the main streamer I watch is an esports athlete. He's he's sponsored by Red oh, Bull. Wow. He's a Red Bull athlete, but he he's a Mario speedrunner. And within the Mario speedrunning community, there are these big names that are big deals to the community and like do a lot for the community and raise a lot of money for charities. But if you aren't part of that community and you don't follow gaming, you're not going to know who these people are. You have no reason to. And I think that's kind of what it is with Imizu. Yeah. Where, you know, Jir doesn't know who he is because he doesn't follow video games. He has no interest in esports. And I think it's a little bit of a nice jot to kids who may be, like, admiring esports players and thinking about that as a career. Where it's like, hey, if you get good enough and get really lucky, you can have a career in this, but it's not going to be quite the type of fame you're thinking of. Just be aware of that. Yeah. And look, I'm here for giving love to different kinds of fame, because there's a lot of it. And admitting that fame is a pretty context-sensitive thing is, look, that's just a good thing to throw out there. Also, they find a way to pay it off in the next episode, which is even better, because, which, you know, I like, I just really want them to keep playing off Juru's complete ignorance of Imizu's whole, like, deal for as long as possible, and then, once he finds out what it is, what it is he gives it the respect that is due to a skill that one has taken such pains to cultivate. Because, remember, uh, just, remember, kids, just because you don't get it doesn't mean it's not worth getting, it just means you don't get it. And related, I love that because he doesn't really get what Imizu's deal is, he's able to, like, match vehicles to everyone else. Like, Sayo's got the medical helicopter, and since uh, Senna's, like, a, a track star, she gets the really fast car. And he's just like, uh, construction vehicles are yellow. <laughs> yeah. Just, that was so good. I laughed so hard. <laughs> And I feel like a big part of why it works is that everyone still kind of respects, or I guess maybe at least tolerates Imizu. Um, it's, it seems like they respect him as, you know, kind of the best at what he does. And since Juru is the only source of this joke, and he kind of stands as a counter to Imizu's ego, this doesn't really strip Imizu of any dignity. Like, he's, he's still highly respected, and it's not even that Jiru doesn't respect him as an esports athlete, he just doesn't know that he's an esports athlete. And I think it's gonna be kind of a grounds, like you said, to build an understanding between the two of them, as opposed to just having a guy to jab at for the next, like, 11 months. Yeah, I don't, because we here on Laser Knees are not about that life. No, not particularly. Um, I also really love the gross faucet squid just drawing a magic circle around the city with sludge. Like, that was so goofy, but also really gross and creepy. Oh yeah, and it, it creates such intense stakes, and creates also its own built-in ticking clock. Because there's a lot of ways to fight that kind of thing, and I look forward to seeing how they play with it. Because, yeah... There's this idea that they've got to connect this sludge circle to just annihilate whatever beauty exists in the area. So how are we going to divert it or stop it? Oh no, it's almost complete. Like, it's it's great drama. Yeah. 
And I also really like that they tried to fight it with just their handheld weapons and were having some amount of success. Like, they couldn't beat it, but they were slowing it down quite a bit. They were able to hold it back, at least. Yeah, and honestly, seeing how they did it in Re-Soldier a couple times, I just remain all kinds of hype for episodes where the heroes take down a big monster without the robots. I, I was kind of hoping we'd get it here, even as I understand why we didn't, because, you know, we gotta sell the robots, but still. Yeah. Um, I also adore that, like, as this is happening, like, Drew shows up in the big red gem car, and the team is like, wait, wait, is that ours? Did, have we always had a car? I don't remember this. Like, it was just, it was really funny just stopping and being like, wait, wait, is that ours? Which, you know, that's, that's a proper reaction. It's just, no one's ready for the power of imagination to just rewrite the rules. Which, it just, it was a really good bit. We've also got a really slick henshin this year, which is nice. As fond as I was of the Ryu Soldier sequence, it was kind of goofy and took a bit of time, and in certain situations didn't always feel appropriate. Because mm. they would have the little goofy dancing knights in, like, the last couple of episodes, and I'm like, I get that you want the big the really big bombastic henshin, so you've got to put that together. But this really doesn't feel like the time. Where this one's very slick and short and punchy, where I feel like it'll really work a lot better in those intense episodes. Oh, yeah. I loved Kirame Stone Bomber. Having having him just, like, chucking the other rocks at the monster's head was incredibly charming. And it was goofy and fun. And I really hope it doesn't encourage kids to just chuck their robot toys at each other's faces. Um, but I still just thought it was really cute. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I'd not even thought about the imitatability, but oh, boy. Because, <laughs> yeah, I was just right there with you about just the purity of chucking rocks at the monster's face. And all I could think also was... Uh, the the t-shirt and kind of proto-meme of boys are grows throw rocks at them, which I think is a sentiment the pink gem can get behind. Um, so I know dance endings are a little hit or miss with us, but I'm actually pretty fond of this one. Like, the song is fun and catchy, but still hits kind of the right sort of melody that I feel like it won't be quite the punch in the face after a really intense dramatic episode the way that some of them can be. Yeah. Um, cause I don't think we, I don't think we commented on it in Ryu Soldier, but going into that ending after Nada died was a lot. Yeah, it was. Um, that ending really, it was jarring after some, some episodes and, that has, I know that we've had dance endings for years now. Year after year now. Did Lupin, did Lupot have a dance ending? Lupot didn't have an ending. Yeah, I don't, I That's don't recall, right. yeah. It didn't actually have an ending. That is weird. But aside from that, I mean, like, Zuoger had one. Ugh. Q-Ranger had one. Ryu-Soldier had one. Tokuger didn't, I think Tokuger was the last one that didn't have a dance ending. Yeah, that. That sounds about right. Um, and even then, it's it's almost a dance mm. ending, but it's not, because there's not a dance. But it's got, it's in the style of a dance ending without there actually being a dance. The actual dance. And then, you know, 
Kyoryuger was before that and had a dance ending. Go Busters had a dance ending. Again, Go Kaiger was not a dance ending, but was in the style of a dance ending. Go Sager had a dance ending. We've we've been on this train for a long time. Yeah. Really, this is this is one of the better ones. Yeah, it really is. I I was kind of surprised at how much I dug on it. So you know, I'm I'm glad they finally got one right. Yeah, it'd be hard to be much worse than I mean, the Rangers because oof. Yeah, that one was bad. That that's one of the few I actively dislike. But speaking of, I also like the opening. I wasn't sure kind of how well we'd be able to stack up coming off Ryu Soldier because the Ryu Soldier opening is basically perfect. Yeah. And while I wouldn't call the Kira Major opening competition, it's holding its own. Like it fits the show and it's catchy and it's fun. And, you know, it's, I'm not going to zone out during it or skip it entirely. Like, it's, it's an opening that I'm, that I enjoy. Yeah, it's not one I'm super hyped for, but it's, it's at least a step above the Lupin one, the, the Lupot one, rather, because I feel like Lupot, I, I mostly started getting into it because I started associating it with the show I really enjoyed. Yeah, the Lupot one was weird. Because it was two songs that were layered on top of each other that still felt like two distinctly separate songs. Yeah. But also, any time they played them individually, they you could just hear the gap where the other song goes. And it didn't yeah, there was work. like two. It wasn't two songs layered over each other. It wasn't two halves of songs. It was like two songs that were three quarters of the way there, and they just didn't know what to do with the extra half a song. Yeah, it was it was an ambitious idea for an opening theme, but I feel like that's kind of what you can say about all of Lupot. It was a really ambi- ambitious idea that didn't totally come together. Yeah, no. And okay, before we get into episode two in earnest, there was a weird little story that I heard uh, from from my partner, and I went and looked it up, and it's it's a neat one. And it's about the intersection of Japan and rugby. So I thought I'd share. So apparently last summer, there was this incredibly charming bit of cultural exchange when a New Zealand rugby team came to Japan to prepare to defend their title in the Rugby World Cup and became something of sensation because of the different cultural ideals around the displaying of tattoos and how a lot of bathhouses in Japan and, and... Hotels even won't let you, like, display all of your ink because, well, then they run the risk of becoming uh, an establishment with a reputation of being associated with Yakuza, and that's bad for any legit business. So there were apparently a lot of public interest stories about how there are these really nice, really big dudes coming in and working hard to respect the local customs vis-a-vis the displaying of tattoos, uh, while at the same time, all the people in Japan were like, hey, we need to respect that these that a lot of these rugby players are like, they're Maori, or they're from other Pacific Island communities, and their relationship to tattoos is very different than ours, and we need to respect that just as people, even though we have these associations. And and a lot of these associations are going to be different even from the ones that I grew up with in the States. So 
anyway, these the the New Zealand rugby team they'd like call ahead, ask and say, hey, is it okay for us to walk around in public areas with like our arms or our back or what have you visible? Because you know it's summer, it's humid, it's just you you want to wear short sleeves. And apparently, between them calling ahead and the the Japanese hoteliers trying to accommodate them, and everyone is just working hard to respect different cultures, and that made them minor celebrities outside of rugby circles, and gave lots of people good impressions of rugby generally, and the folks who play it. How much of that has anything to do with uh, scary rugby monsters is sort of up in the air, but uh, I heard about it, and it's a cute story. And the conflict of the story is everyone is trying very hard to respect and accommodate each other, even though they don't entirely understand where the other person's coming from, but they respect that the other person is coming from a place that is valid and fair. And I just think that's the kind of conflict in the world I want to see more of. <laughs> where, yeah, yeah. hey, hey man, like, we we let all of the other guests know that they can't get mad at you for showing off tattoos because, you know, it's hot. You guys, you get to do that. Are you sure? Because we were just ready to cover up because we know that that's a thing that could get you guys in trouble. Like, everyone is just being cool. That's, that's the conflict. Everyone's trying to be way too nice to each other. Amazing. I mean, if nothing else, nothing else I feel like it at least is maybe the reason they picked rugby. Yeah. Like, as as a sport that the children recognize? Yeah, exactly, because everyone would have heard about, hey, there's these rugby guys. They're cool. Again, can't say for certain, but eh. I just, I really like the rugby monster. He was great. So I mentioned this a little bit before, but I really like where we're starting with Juru. Um, he's not exactly self-deprecating, which mm. I like. Um, but he admires the rest of the team so much that he can't see how this kid who doodles in class can fit in with them. So he's like, oh man, it's this amazing actor, and this genius surgeon, and this record-setting track star, and I guess that guy is really good-looking. I'm just a high schooler who doodles in class. Why do I deserve to be here? Like, I think that's kind of a really good place to start for him, and because it gives him a lot of room to grow and see just how cool and great he really can be. And that's a nice story for him. Yeah, it really is. Especially since having artistic ability is frequently derided as being useless, which, um, I mean, look, we could go on for hours and hours and days and months and years about that idea if we wanted to, but the long story short is that such a thought is awful and bad and generally serves only to make the people around you miserable. Uh, a capacity to imagine is what makes the impossible possible, and that's not just TV show fluff, that's that's true. And what makes possible a lot of things, like fame, like new kinds of surgery, and sometimes it just makes it so you can have a good cry while reading some manga, and if that's not a thing that adds something good to your life, I don't know what humans are even for. Uh, especially during this uh, COVID-19 time where everyone is kind of self-quarantining. 
uh, when so many people are trying to be responsible so as to minimize the number of people who could possibly be afflicted by this disease and die just terribly from it. Um, in that time, I bet a lot of people are having a lot more respect and appreciation for the useless imagination, huh? Everybody watching Netflix, oh, imagination, suddenly a thing you care about, in it? Sorry, I like I don't need I something tells me I don't need to be all aggro and bitter at our dear listeners, but I'm just saying. Um so I like that we're confronting the leader question right out of the gate. Um because I mean, you do one of three things. You either question it now, you question it later, or you don't question it at all. And I'm just I'm glad that we're we're dealing with it now. Depending depending on how you handle it, uh, any of them can work, and any of them can't work. But I'm just I'm glad to see we're doing it now, and taking the idea of Red is naturally the leader, either in general or in this specific context. But Juru Juru isn't a leader. Red is, but he's not, and he's gotta kind of grow into that role and learn what being a leader means. And having him learn that, and try his goal of forming mutual respect with his team, gives him some motivation to try and connect with them. And yeah, like, I'm usually a bit, you know, at, at why is there a leader? But, you know, to tie it back to what they were saying at the start of, of the thing with how things work back on, back on Crystallia... The person who can imagine more than what's there is the person you put in charge because that person can take you places. And already this kid is doing some good problem solving, and even if that's not necessarily a leader thing, that's very much a kid will be good for the team thing, and that's a good way to at least get the team together. And that's what a leader should do. So the rugby bomb is actually kind of horrifying, (laughs) right? Yeah. Like, the first time that goes off, no one knew that was a bomb. Like, it's very, like, they put it near a ride that children go on and might have still been trapped on. Yeah, no. That's horrifying. Yeah, that is, that is some scary terrorism stuff. That is, that is a thing that comes from the imagination of a dude who wrote the Grongi. Yeah, a little bit. So introducing Sky Mage before Land Mage was actually a really good idea. Like, because it's smaller and is kind of an auxiliary machine. But introducing it first and having it be key to saving some lives, it it makes it feel important and not like an afterthought, and that it specifically can do some things that land mage mm. can't. Um, so I'm just I'm really glad that if they were going to have another three part robot, they actually gave some thought to what they were going to do with the remaining two before they started the show. Because Sky Mage seems to be a 100% CGI robot, so I'm not sure how often we'll be seeing it, especially once we have the five-part robot going, starting in the next episode. But I really hope they do some fun stuff with it, because it's a cool idea. Yeah, it really is. And honestly, just as long as they keep playing around with stuff like that, I, I'm i up for basically anything they want to do. Because like you said, there's a lot of fun places they could take it, just, well, like you said, what's going to happen when there's all five of them? However, it does occur to me that with their new shapes being created by Juru's imagination in, you know, in the kayfabe of the show, it seems to me that if they ever need to introduce new robots, it'll be a relatively easy thing to do, even if they'll just 
be a bit where it's like, okay, now the red is a new thing. So kids buy that toy instead. Instead of just, like, tweaking the old one. Which, you know, that's fine. Sorry, just, I know that's a bit of a tangent, but... No, but I mean, like, it's, 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 they've got some very neat ideas for the robot this year, which I appreciate. I always appreciate when they're, they're trying something that's thematically relevant. But uh, to circle back to my earlier point about Juru as the leader, the story that they kind of build around how important running track is to Senna, and that she still wants to give that priority in her life, is really nice. Um, we don't generally explore how much being part of a Sentai can disrupt the day-to-day when the team is civilians turned heroes. Um, which, honestly, thinking about it, we don't actually get that often. Especially not anymore. Mm. Like, we kind of half got it in Lupot, but, you know, like, in Ranger, that's their job. That's their 9 to 5. They were hired. You know, in Ryu Soldier, they'd been training for that their whole lives. Yeah, um, it, it's kind of like that in Q Ranger, but given the circumstances of that narrative, I'm kind of not willing to call them anyone civilians, really. Because, like, they don't have other lives that they're going back to. Pretty much everything is affected by Don Armage. Mm. But, like, here, these are people with jobs and paychecks and families and gigs. And we don't generally explore how much being part of a Sentai can disrupt that day-to-day. So it's nice to see that being thought about, especially with a team that's comprised of people who are elite in their field, to a point where they generally can't miss the time they need to be there for their job. Like, if if Sayo doesn't show up to surgery, that's kind of a problem. If Shiguru doesn't show up to set when they're filming, they're gonna replace him. So it's I it's interesting that we're actually for the first time kind of touching on that. And I also just like the bit where Senna demands Juru stop parroting Mabushina. Like, look, if you're gonna be the leader, you've gotta understand what the thing she's saying means. You can't just keep saying it. And we see Drew take that to heart immediately as she confronts him on it. And he's immediately trying to come up with a creative solution to let Senna do this thing that's really important to her while still fighting when they've got a fight because they don't want people to die. Little things. Like, the really, the most important thing that we see him take to heart is that he can't force Senna to go into battle. He's gotta let her make her choice. And as the leader, it's his job to make things work based around the choices that his team makes. Like, track is important to her, and Juru proves that he understands how important it is to her by letting her choose, okay, well, do you want to run? Like, do you want to come to the fight and have the double run? Or do you want to run and I'll take the double to the fight? This is up to you. And that's really where Senna comes to respect him. And I feel like there will be times where she's now going to choose being Kira Mae Green over going to a big track meet because she knows she can make that choice. And she's willing to make that sacrifice because she's allowed to make that sacrifice. No one is making it for her. Yeah, well, and as I always like to say, it's only a sacrifice if you value what you're giving up. 
And now that she's got the option, yeah, like you said, it's real. It's a sacrifice. It's a thing she has a say in. And honestly, the whole thing where this is a Sentai where they've all got lives to get back to and, and things to do, it we might get some weird, off-kilter, low-energy versions of the characters while the real character is off doing a cool thing. That is a brilliant idea and, again, gives the suit actors some stuff to do. They're leaving all kinds of great story setups all over the place in just these first couple episodes, and I'm honestly very impressed by it. But, you know, again, Narahisa Arakawa probably knows a thing or two about how to make a Super Sentai show at this point, huh? Yeah, a little bit. Oh, man, I am really stuck on this idea of how few Sentai are actually made of civilians. Um, like, Tokyuger is, obviously... And that's, that is one where they address it. It's kind of the entire plot, is that they can't go back. They have to find their way back. Um, but it's not a balancing act in Tokyujur, because they can't go back. Um, Kyoryujur is also another one where it's civilians, but they don't really address it in that show at all. And I think it's mostly that, like, the entire team is rich kids, so they just have nothing better to do. Except for Nasen, who they do actually address it with sometimes. Um, but I mean, like, most... A lot of them were, like, they would be civilians. It's also their 9-to-5 job. Like, it's their job in Go Busters. It's their job in Geki Ranger. Um, Go on, you're their civilians, but they really don't address it in that one at all. They address it in one episode with Hunt early on. And then they're just like, nah, it's fine. We have a van to live in. We don't have rent to pay. But it's it's just really occurring to me since Power Rangers is kind of built on that foundation of, you know, these civilian teenagers getting sucked into this world saving. And that's really not usually how it's set up in Sentai. I have really never thought about it before. Yeah, me either. Come to think. When you lay it out like that, it, it does seem very noteworthy. And, you know, sometimes there's civilians that they, like, live with, but it's very rarely people being pulled out of their day-to-day life. Yeah. And I... They're doing a really good job of highlighting that that's what's going on here, but again, Arisa Arakawa, because, boy, those are some of the best bits of Kuga. Now that I stop and think. Yeah. But, I mean, even thinking about it, like... I mean, Abba Ranger was his first Sentai, but Abba Ranger is one of those ones where it's mostly civilians being pulled into this world saving and like Abare Blue's a small business owner how is this not affecting him dude's a chiropractor like it's it's just very i think they i feel like they kind of address that yellow like left her job but it's not something she wanted to be doing anyway i, I forget because I was on some very heavy pain medication when i was watching Abaranger and also i was watching Hong Kong subs so, the subs were barely coherent, and I was on heavy medication. That'll, yeah, that'll affect one's understanding and memory retention. But, uh, to, to circle back, because I could honestly kind of sit on this idea for a while, and we're already almost two hours into the show. Oh, wow, yes, um, we are. I, I love how uncomfortable Shiguru looks when Mabushina, like, cries out the gems they need. Like, everyone else is impressed, and is like, Wow! That's so cool, and he looks like his fight or flight is kicking in, and he's not sure which he's supposed to choose. 
he, he looks so uncomfortable. And then they make the doll, and it duplicates him. And he's very clearly trying to hold that, like, cool guy mask, but he is visibly upset. Yeah, no, which, you know, understandable. Gemini's a cool narrative device, but also, um, a nightmare. Because, like, I at least am just, I'm not ready for a scary, not-quite-there doppelganger. I, that would, that would make me lose every last iota of my sugar. I, I love it, though. Oh, yeah. I, I love this whole bit. Because um, the Stoic, as I've mentioned, the Stoic Blue, who is actually really goofy, is a staple for Arakawa's teams. Um, you know, there's Yukido, there's Hoji, there's Joe. That's his Blue. That's what he does. Um, and I'm, I'm very excited to have another one, because it's, it's been a while since we've truly had one. Um, they tried with Toma uh, in, in the Lupin Rangers, but they didn't really let him do enough to get that goofy side going. He definitely had it, but they just didn't really do anything with it. Where, like, Bombo was definitely more that sort of role, but he was the black and not the blue, and he wasn't truly goofy. Goofy things just happened adjacent to him, where, like, Joe would react to things in this very goofy kind of way. Arakawa's blues are something special. They're a very particular archetype, and um, I love them. Which is, you know, why when I, I started throwing the Aka Red team together, Owl Blue is pretty much an Arakawa blue. Look, nothing wrong with knowing what you're about. They are mostly just Joe, to be perfectly honest. Um, I feel like Joe is just the, the like, the er blue. Just this kid's definitely got some chops and knows how to manipulate his face. I don't know if he can get a lot of the kind of small, subtle expressions that Kishida Tatsuya got out of Bamba, but I don't know if he needs to because he's a slightly different archetype where he doesn't need to really hold it all in and still convey things. Um. He's just—he's definitely in it for the very Joe-like blue that Arakawa is bringing to the table. I have a lot of thoughts on the Arakawa blue, if you couldn't tell. Yeah, it shows. And I, I look forward to hearing more of them as the series progresses. And look, the next episode is, is about Shiguru, so we're gonna, we're gonna be in there. So the robot is pretty okay looking. Like, it's, it's not amazing, but it's still pretty cool, and it's not bad looking by any means. It's one that I'd have on my shelf without any protest. I do love that the head is just inside of Green's car, so when she detaches to drive down the fire ladder to attack, like, when the car closes, she takes the head with her, so the robot's just headless during that attack. So good. That was kind of a funny detail that I really enjoyed. Yeah, all I know is that I'm gonna be so mad when they start doing the fights in the daytime, and we don't get to see the robot glowing like that, because dang, that was cool. Yeah! Like, come on. You got all that light piping in there, use it. Right? Ugh. Anyway, um, we mentioned earlier that Kira Major is an anniversary series, and as such, they are they're calling back to previous Sentai by having evidence of them scattered throughout the show, and, you know, we're just gonna take some time and make rep make note of some of the references here, sort of like we did with the uh, the, the Lupin collection, but a lot less um, 
sort of organized because these are just callbacks and those can take many forms. But Sona, why don't you start us off? Um, so I'm not sure if they're doing kind of like what they did in Zuoger and Bokenger, where they're modeling things off of like previous monsters and robots. Uh, they probably are, but I'm really bad at recognizing that kind of thing. But they're also kind of semi-Gokai during it by making other set things from other Sentai canon to this Sentai. Um, and we're first introduced to this directly in episode zero, the second we see Senna. She is an athlete sponsored by Scratch, who or SCRTC, which I am fairly certain is meant to phonetically be said as Scratch, given their logo and the fact that they're all cats. But that is the sports company in Geki Ranger that fronts the Geki Rangers that they all work for. So that was really cool and exciting, and I had to immediately go check to see if Sen, like, make sure Senna's actress wasn't played by the girl who played Miki's daughter in Geki Ranger. Which would be cool, but yeah. That would be cool, and I feel like she was in something recently, but I don't know what, and I can't find it. So I think I'm, like, making that up. I, I had to immediately check, because I'm like, are they just putting Natsume in here? Uh, but they're, they're not, but Senna is connected to Scratch. And given that she's a Lady Green Ranger, which Geki Ranger ha technically had the first Lady Green Ranger with Melee, uh, I think that's very cool. Um, and then in episode two, we see another one in the manga that they use to make Mabushina cry, that is the Lupin Ranger manga that Umika's rescued friend Shiho pitches at the end of Lupot, which means not only is her manga being published, but they say it's doing very well in, like, the polls in the magazine it's in, and it's doing well enough that a year later it's been collected into at least two Tankobans. Like, there are two volumes of that manga out. I'm, I'm very proud of her. I am too. Also, okay, these are, are a bit more abstract, because... That's how I do, but uh, the evil rugby monster is pretty clearly a take on one of the most famous kaijin from Go Ranger, the baseball mask, a.k.a. Yaku Kamen. Yes, that is, they are very clearly pulling from him just in the way that design is made. And, yeah, which is fine, because that's great. Um, also, the design of evil traitor brother, I forgot his name, but reminds me, at least, a lot of Ugande, uh, who is one of the generals from Mega Ranger. He's, he's not quite as angular, but I'm going to put a, a picture of him in the, uh, as mentioned. Y'all can tell me if I'm crazy on that one. You know what? Pulling him up? That's fair. Yeah, I mean... I think you might be onto something. Yeah, there. he's not quite as angular, and I think with his, with his, the helmet he gets, I feel like that's sort of a callback to Jetman. Again, it's not a direct callback, it's more of a thematic one, but mm, there it is. But even then, like, Uganda's got kind of that, he doesn't have like a big crescent moon head, but he does have the kind of, like, one side of his head does kind of do that yeah. a little bit. It's not as dramatic, but yeah, it... I definitely think that might be a thing. And okay, this is this is a bit more meta, which, you know, shouldn't be surprising, but I feel like the rhythm overall and the setup, the just the way they did it, felt very Showa-era Sentai to me. Because 
I spent the whole time thinking, this feels so Bioman, which, like, first, let me be clear, that is not a bad thing, because Bioman freaking rules. <laughs> and also, another meta thing, but, okay, y'all remember how I put a pin in Tokyuja earlier? Just the way they pitched the fight between beauty and ugliness felt so similar in the way it's being put forward to the Rainbow Line versus Darkness in Tokyuja. I'm not saying Arakawa's trying to do it better. I'm not saying this is, Arakawa's gonna do it right, or whatever. It just feels like Arakawa's taking some of that Kobayashi stuff and doing it his own way, which, again, not a criticism. That's awesome. I like Arakawa, I like Kobayashi. If they want to riff off each other, I'm here for it. It also reminded me of Maji Ranger. And the whole, um, Majitopia versus... It, it's essentially heaven and yeah. hell. I can't remember what it was. Infertia. Uh, it reminded me a lot of, like, Majitopia versus Infertia in Maji Ranger. I, I don't remember, but it's it's been a minute, but... I mean, it, in Maji Ranger, it was essentially heaven versus hell. And the Maji Rangers were kind of caught in the middle. Man, Maji Ranger was good. Anyway, um, and again, just... We, I, I feel okay in calling a lot of this callbacks, mostly because Narhisa Arakawa did do uh, uh, Unofficial Sentai Akiba Ranger, which is a show just all about nerding out about Sentai, and boy, it just feels like there's a lot of Sentai nerding going on behind the scenes. Which, for a third time, not a criticism. <laughs> that's That's kind of what we're about around here. Look, you don't work on an anniversary series unless you love Sentai. True that, true that. So, um, as that is, like, uh, pushing us well into the two- well, not well, but it's pushing us toward the two-hour mark, um, do we have any last-minute thoughts? Um, just really excited to see where this one is going. Arakawa's bringing his A-game, he's coming for my whole existence in this show from just every direction, there is not a single one of them that is not just coming at me. I do think it's kind of interesting that we went from having a YouTuber last year to an esports athlete this year. I think that's kind of interesting. I don't really know. I don't want, like, I don't have any way to spin on that, spin out on that from there. I just think it's interesting that, you know, they're incorporating these things, that these things have become common enough that, you know, they're putting them into Sentai. Which I certainly better th- Certainly better than I would have expected them to do it, because I'm still impressed that Ui, uh, Ui's YouTube channel didn't end up being, like, a big lol, she's so dumb. Yeah. No, she got to, like, go off to America and produce a movie because of her YouTube channel. Awesome. Rock on, Ui. As you were the best. Was. I look forward to seeing what this show brings us for a new Ui. Um, and me, like, my final thought is just basically the same as yours. I'm just mega hype. So, for Laser Knees and the rest of the Toll Network, I'm Aleph. And I'm Sonam. And shine on, you crazy diamond. <laughs>